time doing some other things. study the book of Revelation. Why? They're afraid of it. They think it's not for us to study. Again, God didn't give us 65 books which we could study and understand and then gave us a 66 book where you had to be some kind of genius or an IQ of 180 to understand it. And even Paul, and here's what I love, we looked at this yesterday with gals and the guys. Paul, who was in Thessalonica for three weeks, started the church was teaching them about the rapture, was teaching them about the tribulation period, which is the seven-year period which precedes the coming of Christ. He was teaching them about the Antichrist, the day of the Lord. He says, don't you remember, I taught you these things when I was with you. So you got three-week-old Christians learning about the rapture, learning about the day of the Lord, learning about the Antichrist and the second coming of Christ, prophetic events. So, for people to say, because there's a lot of guys that have told pastors, well, you don't need to be teaching that book because the people out here aren't mature enough. Baloney, if, if it's good enough for Paul to teach these baby Christians in Thessalonica, it's good enough for all of us to be going through it. Now, are you going to understand and grasp everything in the book? It's not even close. But if you get a little bit each time you go through it, and you just keep adding to it your information like a snowball, it's just going to grow and grow. You'll get a little bit more solid in the book each time. Okay? Now, give me your Bible in five divisions, if you will. What's the Old Testament? It's all based around one verse. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. That's your whole Old Testament. Where is he coming from? He's going to be a Jew. What particular tribe? Judah. Where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. How are we going to know it's him? How are we going to know it's the Messiah? The deaf will hear, blind will see, mute will speak, and the lame will walk. So the whole Old Testament is he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he's here. This is the manifestation of the Messiah to Israel, Savior to the world. Why does the world need a Savior? Sin. Because of sin. Man is separated from God, both physically and spiritually, by sin. Were you separated from God by something you did? Say no. Adam and Eve, what they did. Now you just perpetuate what they imprinted upon your soul, which is a sinful nature. But you are a sinner not because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. Do you have that? It's inerrant within us. Again, you don't have to teach. I didn't teach my little boy to come smack me in the head with a 
key out of the fireplace and split my head open when he was two. He well, knew how to do that right out of the gate. Well, steal the cookie out of the cookie jar. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to teach a kid evil. He knows evil. If he wants something, he goes and takes it. If he doesn't like you, he'll punch you in the face. Right? You've got to teach him how to be good. So, he's here. The Messiah to Israel. The Savior to the world. Jews didn't accept him, they rejected him, he went to the cross, the Gentiles got him. And so Romans through Jude is the explanation on how to live as a Christian. The book of Acts is the proclamation of the good news that Jesus came and died and paid the penalty. So Genesis through Malachi, he's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he's here. Acts, let's tell the world. Romans through Jude, what are we supposed to do until he comes back and sets up his kingdom? And the revelation is him coming back to set up that kingdom. You and I don't ever have to wonder, is he really coming back? Is he going to set up a kingdom? If so, what's it going to look like? What's my part in? Can I be sure that I'm in? All those questions are answered in the revelation. Okay? It's the final chapter. Culmination. So, anticipation... Genesis through Malachi. Manifestation, Matthew through John. Anticipation, Genesis through Malachi. Manifestation, Matthew through John. Proclamation, proclaiming the good news, Acts. Proclamations, Acts. Romans through Jude, explanation. Revelation, culmination. Okay? Easy way. There's your whole Bible up there in picture form. You just put it in five words. You see this, guys? Isn't that good? That's Genesis all the way to Revelation in picture form. Revelation. There's the story. Anticipation. Manifestation. Then what? Proclamation. Proclamation. Explanation. Proclamation is Acts. Explanation. That's Romans through Jude. Then culmination. <clears throat> okay? So we're here going through our daily lives waiting for Jesus. Okay, one more time. Anticipation is what book? Genesis through Malachi. <laughs> okay. And then the Manifestation oh, is your gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay. And then you got Acts by itself. Proclamation, Acts. <clears throat> explanation, Romans through Jude. Culmination. Okay? So the book of Revelation is the culmination of all history. Well, how can you have a book of the culmination of all history when history is still being played out. Yeah, it's future. It's like it's like a fortune telling. I mean, isn't that kind of arrogant for us as Christians to say we know how the story's going to end. We know where history's going. It's not arrogant, it's true. It's just truth. Because what do we base it on? Do we base that we have the knowledge of how history's going to end by the great and giant brain <laughs> of Charter Heard? <laughs> Do we sit and listen to Charner Heard? Charner says, this is what's going to happen. We know how the end is going to happen. Well, what about Kathy? Do we listen to Kathy? No. We have a Bible. We have a Bible that tells us the events that are going to happen. In detail. That's what's so amazing. There's no other book in all the world that can boast of such great detail of the events that will happen preceding the coming of Christ upon this earth. Now let me ask you a question. What is the importance of Christ coming to this planet? 
his kingdom. Yeah, what's his kingdom going to be like? Be yeah. We're not going to be in heaven sitting on a cloud strumming a harp with a crown. We are here on this planet like God designed us to be with immortal bodies with no sorrow, no pain, no wickedness, no evil. Right? But man dreams of that dunny. Man dreams of a nirvana. Man dreams of a world peace. Man dreams of a time when you don't have to lock your doors and your car or anything else. There's no one out there to do you harm. Man has been trying to accomplish that since he's existed. There'll be animals, but will there be skyscrapers? Don't know. There'll be cities. You know that. There'll be cities. Luke yeah. 19 says you yeah. take charge of ten cities. Take charge of five cities. But we looked at Revelation 1, 1 through, what is it, 18? On Sunday. 20. 20. Where John gets the vision. John is the one that Jesus loved. He's on the island of Patmos, which is a penal colony. I never did understand why he was on that island. Because Domitian, who was the emperor at the time, tried to boil him in oil, and he lived. Yeah. And so they just put him out there in exile. That's like Alcatraz. You were out there to die. It was a death sentence. So this boiling in oil, I was reading in Fox's field. Um, did you read it? Well, so it will be. Uh, was kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, he was just in this boiling pot and came out okay? Yeah, did not. Is that kind of like that? Yeah, it's exactly it. Well, yeah, that's a good illustration. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put in fire. You couldn't even smell Shadrach, the smoke. Yeah. But yeah, the person dropping them in died. Died. And, and the ropes were burned. Yeah. But not their skin. Yep. And they didn't, but what hits home for me is they didn't even smell of smoke. Like, yeah. you couldn't even smell the fire on them. They got a force field around. Yeah, so here's John. They boiled him in oil, which is certain death, and he didn't die. So they went, we don't know what this guy is. We'll stick him out on this rock. Okay? But God does his best work. And if you look at it, most of the Bible, or a lot of the Bible, is written under duress, isn't it? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible out in the wanderings of the desert under duress. David wrote most of his good works of Psalms when he was under duress with Saul chasing him. Daniel wrote Daniel under duress. He was in captivity in Babylon. Most of the prophets wrote their books under duress. That's and like their letters. They were in prison writing letters. To yeah. <laughs> Paul, some of Paul's greatest letters is when he was in prison. So a lot of the Bible is written under duress. Here's John writing the greatest work we have in the Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's verse 1. All right? What is the purpose of the book? Is the purpose of the book for us to never touch it? Never be preached, never be taught. No, it's the unveiling, the revelation, the apocalypto. Remember in the Greek, it is the taking away of the veil of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the only book that gives you a threefold blessing. Remember, it's profitable. Okay? So we understand God gave him the revelation. And the reason the revelation was given was to show his servants... Who are the servants? What must take place? So what's the purpose of this book? What's the purpose of the revelation? To show the people that were... What's coming? What's coming? Yeah, who's the servants? How privileged are you that God says, Come here. Let me let you in on a little secret. Don't you love it when people say, Let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you something. Let me... 
reveal to you something that most people don't know. That's what God does. Come here. Let me show you something. And he shows his servants, privileged, those who are his children, what must take place. I mean, what a great privilege. Let me show you what's going to happen in the future. You don't have to worry. You don't have to guess. You don't have to sit around and theorize. I'm going to tell you in detail what's coming down the pike. And you oh. know, when the world reads Revelation, they took to them as probably like Star Wars, you know, yeah. or out of the limits or something. And they just say, well, well I'm giving up on that, you know? Yeah. So you can get, I think the devil, I mean, you can get caught up in the minutia of it. And, uh, when that David Koresh thing came out, he was trying to do seven seals and seven things. The revelation got really uh, popular. And he claimed just, to be Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was yeah. very difficult to relate. Someone said, does Jesus wear glasses? <laughs> that, that was the first thing said. Does Jesus have bad eyesight? So, yeah. It seems like Revelation always puts me in perspective that, you know, do I really have to, do I need, really need you know, 100000 in my bank account? You know, do I really need a new car? Do I really need all these things that I want to have? Or is the end of the world coming and do I need to invest my life in eternity? Yeah. You know, or, or do I have to worry about all these things that I worry about? You know, I mean, it's not exactly good times. But it gives me comfort to know that, hey, this is... Yeah, it shakes up. It yeah. puts things into perspective. Okay, Did wait. John Lennon think that he was Jesus too? No. No? I didn't think he was God. No, I think what John said, and this is what the crash of the Beatles happened, he said, we're more popular in our time than Jesus was in his. Which, it was a true statement, yeah, I maybe. Mean, I mean, there's more people on the earth that. today. He said that about the things. Beatles, didn't he? Yeah, and then yeah. overnight, yeah. I mean, they had pictures of people steamrolling their albums, having burning parties, but do you think if on. that would have happened today, they wouldn't even blink. People would be like, yeah, that's you. They you wouldn't think, even yeah. blink. Do you think that's why he got assassinated? Uh, the guy who killed no, him was... He, he was... They did a biography on him. He was just weird. Yeah. I had that... Bill weird, too. But I know somebody right now, right here in this town, um, a business person, and I fully believe that he's the only person in the world. Some people do. Jesus said, Man will come in my name, claiming to be Christ, and claiming I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. Alright, so why does he say must soon take place? The purpose of the revelation is to reveal to his children, to show his servants what must take place. So watch this. We read this book, and, and the beauty of it is, well, maybe God will change his mind. Well, maybe God's going to amend it. Well, maybe this is going to happen, this is going to happen, but God surely isn't going to bring this, and maybe he'll tweak it down the road. No. Everything in this book must happen. Why? Because God cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man he should repent. Has he said it? Will he not do it? Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? Watch this. There's no word that ever comes out from the mouth of God where he needs to retract or amend or say he's sorry for. Think about that. Yeah. Every word of God that comes out of his mouth through his servants that's written down for us, there's no mistake. God is incapable of making a mistake. 
absolutely, utterly incapable of failing or making a mistake. Perfect in all his ways. Perfect. That's why the Bible's never been amended. Really bad example, but um, nuns believe that they're married to Jesus Christ, and uh, someone did an interview with a nun recently, and they said, well, I know that in my marriage, if something goes wrong, it's me, because Jesus is perfect. I joke there, but I'm going to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> About marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so look at verse 3. Remember, there's a blessing. Blessed is the one who hears it, reads it, and then tries to obey it. And he writes it to the seven churches. He gives who the publishers are. Did you catch that? The triune publishers. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. These are the three authors of the book of Revelation. Which is a great verse for Jehovah. Yeah, it is. And obeys it. Blesses one who reads it, hears it, and heeds it. Read, heed, hear. Whatever you want to say it, that's how I say it. Heed it means to obey it. Do what it says. Right? We can read the Bible. If we read the Bible and we don't do what it says, how profitable is it for you? <laughs> because the Bible says that God blesses and rewards those who are obedient. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. <laughs> Greater his purposes, mightier his deeds, his eyes are open to all the ways of men, rewards everyone according to their conduct as their deeds deserve. So when he says, grace and peace to you from him who was and is and is to come, that's God the Father. The sevenfold spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, because God's perfect number is seven. And Jesus Christ. Okay? Any questions on the four offices? Remember we talked about the four offices that Jesus functions as? Four roles. Like here on this earth, we have people who are in jobs or roles. You have police officers, you have judges, doctors. Those are the roles and the careers that they play. There's four roles or functions of Jesus Christ. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a judge, and he's a king. Right? Those are the four functions of the Messiah. It was prophesied that's what he would do. And right here, John gives it. He is Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, that's prophet, firstborn from the dead, that's being a priest, because he offers up sacrifice for you, and ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the prince of princes. He is the king of kings. So what's missing? Prophet, priest, judge, king. What's missing here? He tells us that he's a prophet. Did Jesus Christ prophesy when he was on the planet, his yeah. first coming? Right? Mm -hmm. He prophesied about his death on the cross and he would raise. Yeah. Was he a priest? Yes. Yeah. Was he a go-between between man and God? He yeah. hasn't judged yet. Is he judged? No. He didn't judge. John 5, 27. God judges no man but is appointed all judgment to the Son. And then king. Is he ruling as king right now on this earth? Well, you know what that I just thought of? Is when it says Jesus is who is the faithful witness and all that stuff. That is proving that Jesus is the same thing as God. Yeah. Right there. That, that end of that verse, you know. Yep. Lay that because on God is the only judge, and so Jesus has to be God. That's right. When people say Jesus was his son, only his son. Yeah. That verse right there proves that they're the same person. That's right. I don't know. Is it really proper for us to say that he, the 
isn't the king right now that he isn't ruling on the earth because um, the world doesn't see that. But he's pulling all the strings. It's his show. So, yeah, he is, so let's is say it this way. Let's say it this way. He is the king of the universe. He's not ruling right now on this planet. He is not sitting on the Davidic throne, which is the He's allowing Satan to yeah. have his angels. Let's say he's ruling. He's whatever. Right. He is ruling the universe, but right now he is not functioning on this planet physically as king of kings. Oh, like he, oh, okay. he doesn't have a tone like the king of England. Right, exactly. Oh, okay. You have presidents and kings that are ruling different right. nations, but when Jesus comes, he will rule okay. the nations. Okay, so physically he's not doing that, right. but spiritually he is. Absolutely, yeah. he's in control of the entire universe. Oh, yeah. Colossians 1 says, whether things on earth and heaven, visible and invisible, all powers, all rulers and authorities are before him, and in him all things hold together. Again, these are just his physical roles. Prophet, priest, judge, and king. He accomplished the first two in his first coming. And he will accomplish the second two in his second coming. What, what, were the, all the, what were the chances of all the prophecies of his first coming when he came to the earth? What were the chances of them all coming and being fulfilled all at one time? Yeah, just ten prophecies. Just ten prophecies coming true is 10 to the 80th power. 80 zeros? Yeah, 80 zeros. 10 to the 50th power is deemed an impossibility. One, one author said, 10 to the 80th power, the idea of that is a tornado going through a junkyard and by chance assembling a 747 Boeing aircraft <laughs> fully functional. That's the chances of just 10 prophecies coming true exactly like they're written. We've got 3,500 prophecies in the entirety of Scripture. 3,000 of them have come true already, <coughs> exactly like they were written. So just 10, the mathematical odds of 10 coming true like they were written. Just 10. The Bible posts 3,000 of them already. Just 10. The chances are like, uh, another author said, it's like taking a ream of paper and a bottle of ink or a pen and throwing it in a window. And at the other end comes the completed works of Shakespeare, by chance. It's just not going to happen. So we have the same odds, the same of revelation coming true as what Jesus wrote the prophecies of Jesus. Yeah. That's why no other book comes close to the Bible. The Book of Mormon tries to predict the future some 50 times, and they're wrong. Like 90% ones that they're right in is just some broad statement like this nation will cross the sea. So there's no other book that can boast of telling the future like the Bible. That's what makes it unique. And everything that is said is going to happen has happened exactly like it was written. So why is that important to us? Let's talk about that. Why is it so important for me to sit here and give you all the statistics about how many prophecies are in this book? 3,000 of them come true. And 500 are still future, and all 3,000 come true exactly like they were. Look in the history books. Why is that so important <coughs> to us today? Credibility. Absolutely. Proving Credibility God. for what? God, yeah. We have hope. Proving God. We have hope. But well, proving... also defending our belief system. Okay, well, there's no hell. And enabling us to go out and repeat it. Yeah. Oprah says, I can go to heaven multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? 
Oh, well, what do I say? Somewhere, but I don't know where it is. Well, what do I say? See, here's the... Here's the it's not what the Bible says. Right. If I sit back and say, this is what the Bible says, well, the Bible's some archaic book that's irrelevant today. But it's been proven over and over. It's been proven over and over. So if 3,000 prophecies have come true, 500 still future, the mathematical odds are an impossibility for just 10, then I must believe that everything in this Bible is accurate. Is that correct? So when the Bible says, Jesus is the way, not our way, the truth and the life, i got to buy into it. If Jesus says there's a hell where there'll be eternal punishment, I've got to believe it. The Bible says you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you go to hell, I have to believe it. The Bible says you do believe in Jesus Christ, you go to heaven, I have to believe it. There is no error, there's no room for error, and it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not, it doesn't stop it from being truth. There's the problem. Man thinks that if it's he like believes... It's like the law. It doesn't yeah. matter if you know the law or not. If you break the law, it's Perfect. Still true. Yeah. Man thinks if he, if he argues enough or debates enough against the Bible, it ceases it from being truth. Oops. doesn't matter what you think, feel, or believe. It does not prevent this from being truth or change it one bit. Okay? And look at the theme of the Bible. Or look at the theme of, yeah, it's the theme of the whole Bible. It's the theme of the book of Revelation, verse 7. He's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That's the Jews. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, except for believers. You can put that on there. I know we're not supposed to add the scripture, but that's what the book says. We won't, we won't mourn at the coming of Jesus. What will we do? Rejoice. Rejoice. Yeah, that's another reason why I believe the so, church isn't on the earth at this time. Yeah. Well, yep. doesn't it say that we're taken up? Yep. Be but some people believe it's a post-trip rapture at the end. Mm -hmm. yeah. Alright, and I like what he says in statement okay. verse 8. I'm the Alpha and Omega. Lord God who is, was, is to come. I am the ultimate authority and perfect power and control. There's no fear. There's no worry. When we watch the news and we look at, like Sandy, what we were talking today, you got these people saying that they're seeing UFOs and they're shutting down ballistic missiles. and It's just getting crazy now. And those things might be true. Didn't we just hire someone to be our... Greeter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Alien, I mean, our government are paying for a greeter so that when aliens yeah. visit the planet, yeah. we can greet them. We have got yeah. a person yes, on payroll oh, yes. 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 who is the official the UFO National greeter. Day of prayer, but we're going to yeah. Yeah. yeah, I heard that, too. Yeah. Can you imagine? Here's my card. What's your position? Yeah. I am the official ambassador to all UFOs <laughs> yeah. in the United States. And, and they the were... E.T. come home. And the news people were dead serious when they were saying this. I would have cracked up, you know. I mean, they were dead serious. Somebody took Well, I was watching Megan Kelly when she was when she was doing the reporting, and she was holding it back. She was going, "Are you kidding me?" Who would be the best ambassador? Although Jay Leno was saying that here we're greeting aliens, but kicking out the Mexicans. Ah, that's yeah. Yeah. Come on in, aliens. Yep, but. You yeah, know, we've got to get rid of the Mexicans, but we can bring the aliens in. <laughs> but see, here's the greatest thing, man. We can watch the news and we watch everything that's happening, but God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I've written all of history, so I know exactly what's going to happen. And watch again. If God has already written it, 
I don't have to worry about what's happening in the news today. Yeah, I just I, have I, to I, tell as many people I don't about even have Jesus to listen. Christ. Yeah, I just need to tell as many people about Jesus as I possibly can, because this is on a course that God has set that will not change, and I know exactly where it's going. Period. But I still think, okay, right now, I might change my mind, but I still think that, you know, God used, can use anything, okay? I use Absolutely. I still think that the fact that, even if it's crazy, that they said that these UFOs are sucking the power out of the nuclear sites, that God's using it to tell us, yes, I love you, I don't, I, it's not my desire that you annihilate yourself. Because, I mean, why would they say these things are sucking the... You know, because God can use that. Could be, but Satan can do the same thing. So why would Satan want to suck the power out of a nuclear site? To give credibility to these people with their whacked out testimonies. Mm -hmm. Why would Satan, who possesses a woman in Acts chapter 16, follow Paul and Silas right. and tell everybody, yes. listen to these men, they hold out the words of eternal life. Why would Satan possess a woman in this woman's credibility because she is a fortune teller right. is established in a town, bring people to Christ. Because, see, we, we, I don't think we study the enemy enough. I don't either. I mean, he is, he is, he is he called is so, a serpent oh, I, for I've reasons. I've had extensive years of spiritual warfare, Pastor. I know all about that. So he I is crafty, right? He is craftier. He's more craftier than any of the beasts on the earth. That means man. And he can come up with UFOs Here. and visions and all kinds right. of no, stuff. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe UFOs and everything. I just think maybe that yeah, God can use that. Where's that you verse know, that says snatched out of hell? Isn't there a verse that has that word, snatched out, snatched people out of hell? Well, it doesn't say out of hell, but it says snatch the burning brand from the flames. Yeah, where, where is that verse? It's either, Even hating the clothes to, to the soil. Burning blood. It's uh, either Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Okay, but here's what I want you to see. Now, let's look. I want to go through the rest of the time. In verse 12 and following, John sees a vision of Jesus Christ as the judge. And again, what we have up here is we've got prophet, priest, and king, but judge isn't mentioned until you see a full description of him as judge. And the idea is all mankind will have to stand before God. And this Judge Jesus is not a pretty sight. It's so terrifying that John, who labels himself as the one Jesus loved, fell on his face. And here's the John who walked with him for three years, saw his resurrected glorified body and spoke and ate with him, now sees him as a judge, and it's absolutely terrifying. <coughs> Is it terrifying to us? No, it should be. That's why he falls on his face, and Jesus touches him and says, You don't need to fear. Yeah. You don't need to be troubled. This is not for you. Yeah. And that's for every believer. It's not for you. Okay? Read it, Megan. Verse 12 and following. Uh, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Okay, stop. So what John sees here is a vision of a robe. Who wears a robe? Judge. Priest. Priest. Okay? Good day. 
The sash is around his chest. In the Old Testament, when the priests put on their garments, they would wear the sash around their waist, or they would gird up their loins. That's what it's called, girding up. That's when they functioned to serve. When Jesus girded up his loins and he washed the apostles' feet, he was serving, right? Here, the sash is around their chest. And again, the reason it's around the chest is they are judging. A priest would judge cases. If you had a, a court battle or you had a, a discrepancy against someone, you would go to the priest and they would decide it like a judge. You're wrong, you need to pay her. Judging an issue. Your cow killed her cow, you need to give her a cow or pay the price for a cow. Yeah, they're judging an issue. Judging issues. So here the sash is around his chest. So he is coming as a judge. Head and hair was white like wool. What did we say that was? Do you remember? Holiness. Wisdom. Wisdom, Wisdom holiness, yeah. purity. So what's that say about how Jesus is going to judge? Is there ever going to have to be a repeal no. from his verdict? No. Never. Are we ever going to have to worry about somebody being executed unjustly? No. <coughs> not going to have to do DNA. Yeah. There is not. Judge Jesus is perfect in his judgments. And always. And then it says his eyes were like blazing fire. Do you remember what the eyes mean? Fire is not wrath. Fire is, is wrath. Judgment. It's also purification. Yeah. Well, no, very little. There's only one place where fire is talked about purification. What passes through the fire? The purifier. Right. You burn off the dross off them. Excellent. Good. Well, yeah. It's purify. I'll refine you like a refiner's soap, and I'll purify you through the fire. That's the nation Israel. Here, the fire has nothing to do with purification. Oh. It's judgment. Is it judgment? It's judgment. Because, again, context. Context. Right. Context is right. it's all judgment. So the idea of yeah. the idea of why the, why are his eyes burning? Why aren't his hands burning? Yeah. Why are the eyes burning? <coughs> he sees all. He sees all, uh-huh. and all, all will be judged. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Hebrews four. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him, and we must give an account. He sees all. Now, Pastor. He knows all. It says in 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 this instance, okay, in this role of where he is in this role, that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Do you think that at all times, you know, even like maybe at a supper or the wedding feast, do you think his eyes are going to be like a flame of fire at, at that particular time? No. no. I think when Jesus done. Okay. Okay. Jesus comes down at the end of the seven-year period. Because I, I was thinking, if I'm going to be standing there looking at my God and his eyes, you won't like, have to. I'm going to be on the floor. I mean, I know I'll be on the floor anyway in reverence. Right. Not fear, but reverence. See, here's the difference. Now watch. John sees him. John is transported to the future, and he sees this scene of Jesus, and it's terrifying to him. But then Jesus puts his hand and says, you don't need to be terrified. This judgment, my eyes burning, aren't towards you. Oh, okay. And I believe when Jesus comes down, it says when he comes down at the end of the seven-year period, he, he tromps them. Um, like you would grapes. He takes the wicked, puts them in a vat, and he treads them with the wine press of the fury of his wrath. So when he comes and establishes his kingdom and he judges the world, and you see that in Revelation 19, 
than the millennial period set up and the eyes are burning, Judge Jesus is now King Jesus, and you see him seated upon the Davidic throne for a thousand years. How are we going to feel, Pastor, when we see him doing that, the people that we care about? I don't about, think we'll see it. I don't think we'll see it. I don't see how we could. I don't think so. I think it's going to cause us pain. It says but I it, think that we're supposed to kind of see it in our mind's eye right now to give us the passion and the desire, the burning desire to save them before they have to go through this. Well, and that's why when you go through I'm the revelation... Yeah, when you go through the revelation and you see people so dehydrated that their tongues are swollen and they're in such misery and pain and suffering that they're crying out for the rocks to fall on them, that is to motivate us to go reach these people for Christ so they don't have to go through that. See, they flip it. People go, oh, Which is why he gives us a book, isn't it? That's right. And people go, oh, I don't want to believe that's that I don't want to believe in a God that would do that to people. Well whether you believe it or not, it's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question should not be whether you want to believe in a God like that or not. The question is you better be on the right side of a God like that. Because God is going to be like that whether you want to believe he is or not. The question now is, what side are you on when he comes? That's what you should be worried about. But Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save them. That's right. Judgment is future. That's why when you look at this scene, it's horrific. So his eyes are blazing like fire. Watch out. What else? Watch this, verse 15. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And the idea of bronze, again, is the metal of judgment. The altars were made out of bronze. Mm -hmm. His feet, the feet that bring the good news, that healed and fed and showed compassion and mercy, now come in judgment. Burning bronze. Again, fire. You see that? Mm -hmm. Glowing in a furnace. Yeah. Now say why the feet were bronze. They're bronze because the altar in the Old Testament, in which you would, brought, which you would bring your sacrifice to that was killed, was because of sin. So the judgment for man's sin was atoned for on the bronze altar. And so bronze is a medal of judgment. In my Bible it says brass, and we know yeah, brass, brass is hot. We say brassy, that's brass, yeah. brass is hot. Yeah. Yeah. See, everything else in the temple was gold or silver. Right. The only thing made out of brass pretty much is this, and then you've got the laver for cleansing. Mm -hmm. But the idea is judgment, and it's burnished bronze. Glowing is in a fire. It's judgment. I think even in the courtrooms, some courtrooms, I mean the major courtrooms, they have those ropes going around and they have the brass on them, you know? Yeah. Well, when you look at it, his eyes are judging with wrath and his feet carried out. Because again, Revelation 14, it says he treads the winepress of the fury of his wrath. He stomps from hip to thigh. It's like, it's like, when you stomp on grapes and the blood comes out of the grapes, it says he's going to stomp them and the blood's going to flow through the valley of Armageddon as high as the horse's bridle. That doesn't mean a horse standing up. The horse is dead laying on the side. People think he will give me swimming in blood. No, it's impossible. I mean, nothing's impossible with God, but realistically, it's the, there's, great, there's a great slaughter. And then look what it says about his mouth. His voice is, has the sound of rushing water, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. So what do we say about his mouth and, and the rushing water coming out of it? It can't stop water. Yeah, it can't, destroys everything in its path. It's not a babbling, peaceful brook that you can canoe down. 
It's like it's when a, a tsunami hits, you cannot stop it. Yeah, it's going to destroy everything in its path. I mean, this is horrific judgment. And the sword coming out of his mouth, Ramphaya, which is a cleaver, it's going to cut everything down. And we see in Revelation 19, the sword is the word of God. Right. And, and here's what's amazing to me. If the Bible says everything will be judged according to the word of God, we better be studying it. To make the Bible so relevant today is an amazing thing to me because when Jesus Christ comes, He will judge all things according to the Word. It says the sword comes out of His mouth in which He judges all the nations according to it. And you know what shows us how immensely important that our Bible is? It's because the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness change. Absolutely. Of course they're going to change it. That shows us even more. Yeah, but the Jehovah's Witnesses change it to the point nobody undergoes judgment. There's no hell. Well, that sounds nice. I would love a world where there's no hell. But I would also like the winning lottery number. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> Maybe. But. Did you know what you guys won two times? I one know. in June and one in September. That's crazy. All right, so look at this. Then in his right hand he held... The seven stars, and remember they interpret the seven stars for us as the seven pastors of the seven churches. They're in his right hand, placing comfort, strength, and protection. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That's the countenance. Any, the countenance of a person, the, the, the identity of the person is in their face. That's his countenance. What is the countenance of Jesus' face? What do I mean by countenance? Expression. His expression, yeah, his overall representation. Yes. Like if, if my it's almost your soul. Yeah. Countenance is almost where your heart is. Yeah. Where your heart. Well, what you're almost, seeing things all over your face. Let's say, how many of us know people that are just happy all the time? So much so you almost get sick of them. Yeah. You just yeah. want to knock the smile off their face. <laughs> you can't be that happy all the time. Yeah. But, are you breathing? <laughs> yeah, well, what's going on here? You know, so if a person's face is happy all the time, that's the countenance. That's who he is, so we think. That's why a hypocrite, hypocrites, means one who hides behind the mask. Yeah. When it puts on the mask of happiness all the time, but their insides are totally trashed. So what's it saying about Jesus' countenance? The sun shining in all its brilliance. It's not clouded. It's clear. It's sunny. <clears throat> what's it mean? What do we get from the sun? Life. Energy, life, life. life. nothing grows without the sun, yeah. warmth, comfort, seeing it, good. But you can't really stare right at it, it's pretty good. Right, you go blind. Well, the sun is self-sustaining, it's not like Jesus needs something to... Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good too. He is the sun. That's real good. Yeah, that's good. All right, so look at this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I'm the first, the last. So it gives him three reasons. Remember not to be afraid. I'm the first to last. I'm the author of all things. I'm the one who controls death and life. See that? And I've resurrected and conquered death and live forever. So you and I need not to fear King Judge Jesus because our sin has been paid for. He went to the cross and took the full wrath of God Almighty for you and I's sin. And that, I mean, what a deal. All the wrath that we see from this point forward 
was all poured out on Jesus Christ for our sin. Everything you see that comes down on this planet, we deserve for our sin. But Jesus took it. Which in that book says, um, I never thought about the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and he was praying drops of blood and a lot of, and a lot of people think that he was in anguish about what was going to happen to him and the book comes out with it was all of his all of it God's wrath coming on him. It wasn't that he was anguish. Yeah. He couldn't care less about the right. nails. It was the wrath, the wrath that God the had that we all deserve. Yeah. That every single person that has lived and will live came down on one yeah. man. Yeah. That's when I always thought of him praying moment. blood. Yeah. I thought, yeah. well, he's praying so hard. And he's totally that he, played separated he was, from he was his just his anguish, yeah. suffering at our wrath. Yeah. It was our wrath making him believe. Before he ever got crucified. See, but man, again, man looks at this and goes, ah, that's what you believe. Doesn't matter. This is what is the this is what the truth is. This is the facts. Question is, where will you be when you have to stand before God? That's I love the the Great Fest. We gave that test. We gave away eighty Bibles, and we we had I don't know how many tests. We still have some of the sheets, the answers. I think out of all the answers, we might have had one or two that said, "I know for sure I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for my sins and I've trusted in Him." It was great with dialogue because they would say an answer, but it would. It would help you go, it would help you get him to, well, that's a good answer, but that's, you know, I mean, it would help you get him to realize that that the one only answer is that you've accepted him as your Savior. Here's what broke my heart. There were two girls, young girls. How old do you think they were? I don't know. They, they came running through. They were in high school. Right? High yeah, school. Yeah. Definitely high school. Maybe she looked like 13 or 14. 13 or 14, okay. Here's two girls. They both take the test. The one says she knows for sure she's going to heaven. The other one, maybe. She hopes that she's She hopes so. So I'm talking to both of them. And I'm sitting there going, now how sad is this? Here's this person who knows she's going to heaven. And her best friend standing next to her doesn't know whether she's going to heaven or hell. And so she's like, oh, I know I'm going. I don't know about my friend. I'm looking at it they going, there's something that's wrong here. This girl had such a surety, and this girl had a scared look on her face, yeah. didn't she? She was like going, well, I don't know, and I'm trying to explain to her. She did have a scared look. She had a scared look on her face. I'm not sure. Well, the Bible can, the Bible tells you you can be sure. Everybody, does everybody in here know for sure they're going to heaven? That's the question I'm going to ask you today. And if so, what are you basing that on? you sure you're going to heaven? If you tell me yes, I'm going to say, what are you basing that on? Sandy, what are you basing the fact on you're going to heaven? Jesus loves. That's it. You did nothing for it. Right. And if you did nothing for it, can you lose it? Yeah. But I do go through times where I wonder. That's normal. Look, if you don't <laughs> wrestle with your salvation, you got problems. I do. If I asked you, if I've asked, if I asked Charter, Charter, have you ever wrestled with whether you were saved or not? If he tells me no, we need to talk. Because if you're truly a believer, you're going to wrestle with your salvation every once in a while. Why? Because you sin. Oh, sin, what causes, 
Sin causes you to doubt your salvation, and rightly so. I do for a split second, then the right. Holy Spirit steps right in, but my husband wrestles with this. Yeah, and then you just run through. When a person's wrestling with their salvation, it's because they're getting convicted by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, do you not think Satan makes you think? It's sad. When you wrestle with your salvation, you think it's Satan's got you thinking it's you. Absolutely. So you just have to flip the channel and go, okay, God's not a liar. He told me if I came to him and I accepted him. You yeah, know. that's exactly what you I'm do. just a mortal, stupid person. But I got saved 38 times in the first year of our believe. Because of that, I doubt and I'd say, okay, I say the sinner's prayer. There's evidence in my life I've been converted. I'm good. But then I'd doubt. And then I'd have to run through that again. And eventually, eventually it sticks. Eventually you go, okay. When I was in Florida, I go into the churches in Florida. And those same people would go up to the altar every week to get reset, And the pastor would let them do it. Yeah. A lot of them let them do it just for a catalyst to get other people. And a lot of them in those kind of churches do believe that you lose your salvation so you should do it every week. Every day. not reassuring the people, reassuring anything at all. Well, it's in the Catholic faith, the way that you get Jesus in you is to take the Eucharist every Sunday. All right, any questions? We good? <laughs> we could go through that chapter. We're all good. We yeah, we're going to have, 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 have That book, though, that radical is like, okay, if you're so good, why are you telling people all day long, now, nonstop? Yeah, now we have you really to thought about him, and you thought about how bad it's going to be. You, you must not love anybody at all. All right, let me pray this out. Again, Lord, always we give you thanks for your word. You have not left us here to guess, to theorize, and to worry about what the future holds. Uh, even just our day-to-day -day future, we know for certain that you hold it, and that's all we need to know. We just give you thanks for this time, for the folks that are here. Just pray for all of our hearts, for assure you that you're coming, and for us to be motivated to tell those who don't. Go tell it all night. Over the hills through the night. I didn't see that. You did make us That's right. Don't be worried. How's it go? No, he puts his head under here. Oh, I love that. Covers it all.